Good morning. Welcome to Battleground this morning. If you got your Bibles, get them out. You start to get in the habit of, of bringing three things with you or getting three things as you come in. One is a pen. We've got some back there if you need them. The other is sermon notes. And the other is a copy of God's Word, either a good old paper copy or a digital one. Bring those with you. You're, you're going to need them today as we gathered here today to learn from the Lord. So let us stand in, in reverence and honor to His Word this morning as we find ourselves by the God's providence in Psalms 30 this morning. It's a good word, the title of the message today. Our, our hope and joy comes in the morning. Before I start, let me correct us. Let me just stop us. I want you to, because this is about using our minds, the title of the series. When it rains, when the weather's this way, you need to understand it affects your emotions. It affects all of you. We've been stuck in the house, most of us, all day yesterday. Maybe you've got a lot of kids. Maybe you didn't have any. Both of them bring their problems. But today, this is a Psalms of thanksgiving. So let us call ourselves to mind that God has called us to rejoice and to love Him with our minds and our emotions and all of us this morning. So I just needed that before I read this, and, and maybe you did too. So let's, let's hear God's Word this morning. I will extol you, O Lord. For you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O oh Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O oh Lord, you have brought me up from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O oh, you saints, and give thanks to his holy name for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry. And to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Here, O Lord, be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. That my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O oh Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Oh God, thank you for this honest, wonderful psalm this morning that tells us that this difficult season that we've just came out of, or this difficult season that I am in, or this difficult season that I know that I'm going to be heading to, is not without purpose this morning. For you are sovereign, and you are good, and your glory is at stake. Encourage your people, build our trust, cause us to sing this morning. 
For that which we are going through is light and momentary and is working for us an eternal weight of glory beyond what we can imagine. Comfort your people with that truth today in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalms 30. We realize that Psalms based usually on a context. Sometimes we can know what those contexts are and sometimes not. And, and everybody, if you, read, if you read the guys that like to study these things, like to argue about them. <laughs> Is it this context or that? There's a couple different contexts. When you read the beginning of this, it says a song at the dedication of the temple. Now that confuses you right from the beginning because if you remember the history, David doesn't build the temple. David collects things for the temple. He's dead before the temple is built. Solomon builds the temple. So what is this about? Most things, two potential contexts for this. Second Samuel is the one that most think this is talking about right now. And if you want to turn to it, you can. Just to orient yourself because the context here is very important. If this in fact is it, one says it was David building his own palace, and he's dedicating his own palace. But more likely, it is in 2 Samuel 24. And we see this context is very clear. Do you remember the story? David has been a very, is a, is a very successful king at this point in his life. And he calls in Joab, and he says, I want to number the people. I want a census done. Joab says, probably not a good idea. Why do you need to do that? Don't you think God can give you more if he needs to? And he did it anyway. After this sin against God, God gives him three choices. He chooses pestilence. And the angel of God brings the judgment of God for his sin. The judgment of God stops at a place, at a threshing floor. And he buys that. He offers a sacrifice to God. And it was there that the discipline of God stops. It was here that they built the temple. See, David's sin of choice, that is, the sin that he often fell into. We know some of these stories. It's his own self-sufficiency. We do know historically that this psalm was used at the dedication of the second temple. This is during the Maccabean period. That's where they initiated, started Hanukkah. You can see this in John 10, 22, that they were still celebrating this. They called it the Feast of Dedication. So this was the context, the interesting context to at the dedication of God's temple. So what's the point? The truth this morning, whether personally or whether nationally as God's people, whether personally, individually, difficult seasons are coming, but rejoice over them? I mean, give me a break. But this is what he's doing. You see, the, the difficult season is past, and he's reflecting back on it. That's really the context of the psalm. So difficult seasons, your theme at the top of your notes, are used for the by the Lord, for our good and for His glory. In other words, difficult seasons teach us. And what we learn from David by simply watching his life and, and watching his mistakes is it teaches him to ask the question, what am I really dependent on this morning? 
In other words, you need to understand this morning, as a child of God, and I'm speaking to those that are in Christ, that one of the primary tools God uses in your life to sanctify you is the difficult seasons. Sanctify. What in the world does that mean? The best way I can understand it is to either if you're a child who had a parent or you're a parent that has a child, God disciplines his own kids. He does. He's faithful to it. He's good at it. I can't spend as much time here as I want to this morning. But there's a tragedy in the making if you have undisciplined children. Because they're getting their view of how God disciplines his own kids from how you discipline yours. Proverbs 13.24 says this, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Discipline means to train, to warn, to example, to correct, and to chasten. Discipline is not just the spanking, in other words. Discipline is your whole trajectory in life that you commit yourself to that child to train them in the way that they should go when it involves correction. So sanctification, then, in the life of the believer is exactly that. It's a lifelong process. And what God is doing is chiseling away in your actual life of the things that do not look like Christ. Pretty good model for parenting, by the way. It is this idea that what's in the mind of that one who is sculpting something is Christ. He's chipping away everything that doesn't look like it. So we do in our parenting. So God does in our life. And because of that, Spurgeon says, the faith in Christ because of this makes that we can sing. Even in the midst of the difficult seasons. And especially, especially once they're over. So I just want you to see this. You've got to have this in your mind. David is on this side. He's on the back side of a difficult season. He's looking back on it. And so to start with, he starts at the end of the difficult season. He says, praise the Lord for what he's done. And then he's going to step into the difficult season. And he's going to remember what God accomplished, what he did, the very purpose of the season. So we see first, David's got a hope-filled rejoicing that follows a difficult season. It comes after it. And what he's doing, is this is all praising God. Praising God for the good, praising God for it's over, praising God that he has first used, his healing hand has restored me. Look at verse 1. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up. Do not let my foes rejoice over me. The picture here is he has pulled them pulling out of a deep pit. Remember Joseph, how they cast him into the pit? He had to be drawn up out of that pit. This is the picture. That what he was in was so despairing and so deep. He's saying, God, I praise you because you pulled me up. This healing here, if you see it in verse 2. Oh Lord my God, I cried to you for help. And you have healed me. This healing could biblically mean any type of deliverance. It actually means to restore. Or even better, to provide a cure. So what's going on here? Well, don't miss to start with that he says, Oh Lord, my God. That's really important in the Psalms. That shows intimacy and dependency together. Intimacy and dependency are not at odds with each other. They, they are friends. It's the basis of our prayers. He prays for healing. To, to, thanking God that he has healed him. He's really thankful. Notice in verse 1 that now the foes, the enemies that gloated over him can't gloat anymore. He's using the word rejoice. I rejoice 
in you, God, because my enemies can't rejoice in me anymore. They were rejoicing while I was suffering. No, they can't. But this, what this looks like in context this morning is David does have an illness and a physical sickness that was caused by sin. But listen, be clear this morning. Not all, sin is, not all sickness is caused by your personal sin, but this one was. We need only to read our New Testament to say that this, this is not only possible, but we underestimate the power of our own sin if we think that our sin does not affect us holistically in our life. It does. Psalms 32.3. Not the first time David's sin has affected his physical self. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Though my groanings all the day long for... Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. In other words, listen to me this morning. Unrepentant sin will kill you. It will have an effect on your life, and it's probably having an effect on many in the room right now. It's good news this morning. Good news for you, believer. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. Listen to what it says. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And it is then this kingdom, verse 14, is true in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's good news this morning. He didn't leave him in the pit. He brought him up. He rescued him. Look at verse 3. He changes from this personal testimony and now he's bringing other people into this. Verse 3, O Lord, you have brought my soul up from Sheol. It means I was at the point of death, going to go to the grave, and you brought me up from that. You restored me. Listen, from among those who go down to the pit. That means not everybody who went down to the pit came back up. But in your mercy, you've restored me. You see us thanksgiving? I didn't deserve it. You restored me. How grateful are you this morning that God has pulled you out of the control of sin and darkness and transferred you into control of Jesus Christ where there is victory over sin. He praised God. And this is just a practical truth. He praised God that the disciplined hand of God was temporary, but the gracious hand is eternal. It is His lifelong. Verse 4. Sing praise to the Lord, all you His saints. Give thanks to his holy name. Now he's turned outward in his thanksgiving to the people. Saints. That's those that are faithful to Yahweh. Talking to the believers. He's talking to those who follow Yahweh. Give thanks to him. Why? You see his holiness? Turn with me to Psalm 7. I want you to see this holy name is everywhere in the Psalms. Psalm 7, 17. I will give to the Lord the thanks due His righteousness. I will praise, I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. So this is important. Understanding the purpose of His discipline, of the difficult seasons in our life, we've got to understand the basis for His discipline is His own holiness. And here he gets into it. Verse 5, why praise him? 
they praised him because his discipline was hard. If, if 2 Samuel 24 is actually the context, then we know how hard it was. He's praising him because it's over. It's over. It was for a short time. It may feel like it this morning, but God has not disciplined you your whole life in His heavy hand. He is not a heavy-handed Father. Here's what He's saying for, your, for His anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. So do you see the, the contrast? This psalm is all contrast. This and that. He's saying that there was a time in his life that he remembers where the favor of God turned to disfavor. And when it turned to disfavor, there was weeping. Joy went away. Weeping began. Praise God, he's contrasting the temporal nature of it with that of a lifetime. Turn with me to, to James Oh, how I hope you're in a growth group. Because if you're not in a growth group this morning, you're missing like half the sermon. Half the sermon is in the growth group, and I'm not going to preach still the thunder of that. I want you to be in a growth group. I want you to hear James 1. I just want to, to introduce it to you. This is the growth group, part of the growth group text. James 1, 2-4. So helpful to understand this New Testament reference that helps us understand the psalm. Listen to how Scripture interprets Scripture. James 1 verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. just want to say this, because last week we, we, we heard about God as our sovereign King. Difficult seasons are purposeful precisely because God is sovereign. And praise God for it. His sovereignty shows us and proves that our difficult seasons of life are not for nothing. They are purposeful. And so now he backs up into the difficult season that he has already been through. And he praises God because he realizes it's for my good. It was for my good. How could he say that? Listen. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made me stand strong. You hid your face and I was dismayed. This is right up in our lives right here, brothers and sisters. This is what happens. When we get prosperous, this is what happens when the comfort and the easy come into our life. Self-sufficiency is right behind it. This is what happened to David, though he was warned. David, what are you doing? He did it anyway. Prosperity comes with danger. That's why it's so dangerous to be an American. Because we're so prosperous. Because prosperity has a tendency to harden your heart and think you don't need anybody but yourself. You see it? This is what made God angry. The word angry means angry. 
Verse 5, this is why God was angry with his own child. This is what brought on the weeping. See, David felt secure in his own abilities. He became carelessly comfortable. So we have to ask ourselves the question this morning. Have I begun to enjoy the gifts of God more than God? Do you know, believer, that you can actually begin to enjoy the spiritual gift that God's given you more than Him? This is why preachers fall and teachers fall. Because they say, look at what I have to say. Look what I'm doing. Look how much God needs me. Praise God for His Word. I remember when this verse humbled me and it's still humbling me. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. need to see this. If you know anything about the Corinthians, they were a church, but they were a troubled church. Had a lot of problems. And even when they began to grow, they began to say, we're in 1 Corinthians 4, they began to say, well, I follow Apollos. I follow Peter. And the other guys over there saying, y'all bunch of man-centered people, I follow Jesus. All bragging. Paul says, you better understand this. You will stand before God and you will be rewarded as a believer based on how you labored for God's glory. You cannot ride someone else's work of ministry and be rewarded for it. So why are you bragging about something? Why are you bragging about, I follow this person, I follow that person? Listen to what he says in chapter 4, verse 6. This is a good word that will set you free this morning. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers. That you may learn, not, learn by us not to go beyond what is written. That none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. Look at verse 7. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? I say this gently, but I say it clearly. Are you angry at God this morning? Are you angry with God because He took away your ministry? Because He took away your health? Or because He took away someone that you loved? I say this as gently as I can. What did you ever have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why are you angry with God as if you did something to receive it? That gift of your health, that gift of your ministry, that gift of your spouse or your baby that died was a gift from God. It was His mercy and you did not receive it. You did nothing to receive it. This is the purpose of the hard seasons of your life. They remind us. It was for my good. Oh, the mercy of God when He is displeased with us. Why? Because it's meant to lead you to repentance. That's its purpose. Listen to this. Parents, you need to listen to this too. You need to have two ears. One for yourself, one for your children. To be always indulged and never to taste of trouble is rather a token of God's neglect than tender love. Let me read that again. To be always indulged and never to taste of trouble is rather a token of God's neglect than tender love. 
He's praising God because this tribulation, this season was for his good. Why? Because verse 8, it brought him to repentance. To you, O Lord, I cry. And to the Lord, I plead for mercy. This is important. Look at verse 8. It's why we study the words. What do the words mean? What are the words saying here? You see the word, to you, O Lord? That's Yahweh. To you, O Yahweh, I cry. Second line. And to the Lord. You see that word? That's the word Adonai. That's master. This is important. And to you, my master, I plead for mercy. So it's critical to understand verse 9 that, it, that he's not arguing with God. It's couched in verse 8 and verse 10 with mercy to God, to Yahweh his master. In verse 10, Yahweh his helper. What this is couched in is this mercy sandwich on both sides. Mercy, mercy. And he says, God, if you, if you allow me to perish, I can't praise you. I don't want to live so that I can praise your name. He's remembering this, you see. He's stepping back into the tribulation now with perspective and say, I see it. It's the beauty of mercy that leads his children to repent. Because we can't repent once we're dead. Why praise him this morning, believer? Because he gives you the benefit right now of both forgiveness and restoration. This is the goal of the difficult season. It's for you to grow. And if you're in sin, to be restored. Psalms 51, 1 and 2. Do you remember? David has committed not only adultery, but murder. You think your sin is too hard to forgive. Here stands David. Who slept with another man's wife and killed him to cover it up. And yet he prays, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Do you know, believer, that 1 John 1, 9 was written for you? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, even when you as a believer fall flat on your face. Your Father stays by you. The affliction of your life was for your good and for His love for you. Though you might be angry with Him, He is not Eternally angry for you. His, even his anger, listen to me, is a holy one. It's meant to bring you to restoration. Do you understand Hebrews 12? Oh, it's so important to understand. Hebrews 12, 10. Using your parents as an illustration this morning. Let's just go back up to verse 7. We can grab a little bit of the context here. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Pause, do you see what he's saying? If God's not disciplining you for your sin, then you're not one of his. Because God always disciplines his children. Verse 9, besides this, 
We had an earthly father who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But listen, here's his purpose. But he disciplined us for, your, for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful and rather unpleasant. But later he yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Do you see it? God brings the difficult seasons and he uses them ultimately to restore you. How do you know you're repenting this morning? Some of you think you're repenting and you're not. You see, repenting is not hating the consequences of your sin. Repenting is not saying, I hate what my sin keeps costing me, though I love my sin. That's not repentance. And listen, this pagan version of I apologize is not, is not forgiveness. It's not. God calls us to repent. How do I know I'm repenting? Do you desire to honor Christ above everything? Or do you still really think you can do this yourself? That this world exists for me and my glory and my family's glory? Or do you desire to honor Christ with it? You see, what bleeds out of that is the second question. Do you desire to live in a way that reflects Him? It's this very simple question that deals with your heart. Am I doing what I'm doing? Not because I love my sin, but because I hate my sin. Why do I hate my sin? Because the honor of Christ is at stake. Not the consequences in my life. Doing what's right often has bad consequences. We do it anyway. The easiest question in your life right now is, do you desire to praise Him above everything else? Or do you not? (laughs) When you're walking in repentance, when you have been restored, the gift that God gives you is a desire to honor Him, to live for Him, and to use everything in your life to make Him look as majestic as He is. Gives us joy. This is what He's saying. Now He steps back out of His, his, his difficult season, and now He looks back at it again and ends where He begins. God's mercy has brought Him to gratefulness, to a grateful rejoicing. He's praising God. Listen. Because he has turned, he is loosed, he is clothed. Look at verse 11. You have turned me from my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Question, who has done that? The Lord has done it. What have you done? What has David done? He has repented of his sin. God has forgiven him. He has restored him. And when he restores him, here's what he's doing. He's taking off the sackcloth. Sackcloth was a visible expression of mourning. It was visible. If you were in mourning, I could see it. This is what he's saying. This is the picture he's given. That, that the rejoicing that God gives his children is visible. It's verbal. That's what he said. He said, I turned it mourning. Look at the contrast. Dancing. Now I know us, us people over 40, what we really like is quiet. Right? We like quiet. Don't like noise. 
But I'm sorry today. This is just not what he says. He said, I'm not going to take off your mourning and give you quiet. I'm going to take off your mourning and give you dancing. Oh, I can't wait to get to heaven. My wife can't wait for me to get there either because she really wants me to dance. But I can't dance. I just can't. I don't even hear the beats, you know. One day I will, I'm sure of it. This is an outward expression, though. It's visible. Ecclesiastes 3, 4. The students are studying Ecclesiastes. That's why I thought of this text. There is a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Here's what he's saying. On the backside of this difficult season, it's time to dance. Morning has dawned. Night is over. The dark night of my soul has purposeful. But praise God it was purposeful and praise God it's over. (laughs) It's time to celebrate. You see, when God does all of this that you do not deserve, you can do nothing but sink. Why? Because He's clothed you. Isaiah 61.10. All this should bring us to rejoicing. Isaiah 61.10. Listen to what it says. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God. Listen, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress. And as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts. And as a garden causes what is to be sown to sprout up. So the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before the nations. Your joy in the midst of tribulation and your, your perspective after it is meant for, to make the nations glad. And listen, I can preach Psalms 29 on the sovereignty of God and it brings my soul to dancing. But you need to have a proper view of God this morning. You should see in your mind the prodigal. Do you remember the story? That prodigal son who turned and walked away. Sitting with the pigs. And it said he came to his senses. There it was. That's repentance. He came to his senses. He says, I will go back to my father. What did he say? Do you remember? I will tell my father, I'm not worthy to be your son. Just make me me one of the hired hands. Father, I'll go back to him. I'll say that. And as he turned and walked in repentance toward his father, what happened? Father ran to him. His father ran to him. Do you see it? Don't give up either one of those profound truths. You must repent of your sins. You must turn to Christ. You must walk in repentance. But know this, believer, your father's running to you. What does he do? Puts on a robe, his robe, puts on a ring, puts shoes on. 
Do you think that one who would do that when you were a prostitute, a tax collector, the least of these, that's who he was talking to in context. Do you think he that would do that to a prostitute would then just let that prostitute walk the rest of their life and not walk beside of them? Not be there for them when they fell back into that mess. Do you remember the story of Hosea? Here's what he's saying. He's clothed me. Even though I, I am a believer and I fell in my own pride again. Again. Here I am again. God, I'm rejoicing because God has given me this tribulation to bring me to repentance, to bring me to reconciliation. He says, I will rejoice. Verse 12. Don't miss this. That my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Notice what he says there. He doesn't say God's glory. So what does he mean right there, that my glory? Does anybody happen to be reading from an NIV right now? Nobody? The NIV here translates that heart. That's helpful. What my glory means is soul. The whole of human existence. He's saying that, that all of me, my very soul, was going to sing your praise. One translation even calls it tongue. That my tongue may sing your praise. It's better to thank all of you. He will use now because of what the Lord has done. Because of His restoring grace in His life. He will use everything that He is from His very core, from His very heart. He will sing. Luke 6.45, out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. What is your life speaking about your heart? Your life is speaking today. What is it saying? I love what Spurgeon says. He says, praise is the rent we owe to God. So what can we take away today? What can, I, what can we take out of this? I just want to give you three things, three simple truths that I think would be helpful today. First, the reason I wanted us to start with the parenting illustration because all of us are kids and some of us have been parents. And some of us are even grandparents. What a gift. You need to understand this. God is a perfect father that loves his kids. God is a perfect father. And I'm sorry, I don't care how good your daddy was. He's better. He's perfect. Your daddy was not. He wasn't. And whether, whether he slightly pictured the goodness of God the Father or whether you have to use him as a contrast to understand your father, understand this, your heavenly father is perfect and he loves you. He loves his kids. God desires for his children to glorify him, to reflect him, to enjoy him. That means, so then, God disciplines his own. To hear me clearly, many of us don't understand discipline. We just think it's when our daddy took off the belt and gave us a spanking. Listen, discipline is sometimes correction from sin. But listen, discipline is also instruction in righteousness. 
God loves you, so He instructs you on how you should live. That's what He desires for you. To reflect Him, to glorify Him, because that's where the joy is. Divine discipline, listen, this is important. Divine discipline is something, and it's not something. Divine discipline is not God saying, I'm done with you. And I'm sorry for the bad theology that keeps you on a treadmill thinking you're going to lose your salvation. No! God seals His own with the Holy Spirit. And when He does, God says when you fall, I am not done with you, I love you. God does not abandon His own. He doesn't. He loves His own. His character is at stake here, people. He's at stake. He loves His own because He's a good Father. And so the result, second, I can't say it better than Steve Lawson, let every saint be quick to agree with God about his sin, calling out for forgiveness. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, do you know what it means to confess? It means you agree with him about your sin. You agree with him. You're right. <laughs> That's what that means. It doesn't mean it was my daddy's fault. It was my grandma's fault. It's the culture's fault. It's the government's fault. No, your sin is yours. The key to this joy, the celebration this morning is to agree with Him. To repent, receive that forgiveness. Quickly! (laughs) Don't cover it. It only gets harder to repent when you cover. What waits on the other side of repentance is the reconciliation of a father who loves you. All of this. All of this should lead to one thing. Oh God, that I get to use the rest of my life to praise you. Psalms 40, verse 16. says, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let me read that again. Is this your prayer? Lord, I seek you because I want to rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. So, brothers and sisters, we are about to do three things. And they're really all one thing. We're going to sing. Then then the guys are going to come forward. We're going to give. And then we're going to go. And all of that is response. Not just the singing. Not just the giving. And not just the going. About those three things. What's going on inside of you right now? Has God restored you? Is the restoring grace of God, either that you have experienced, that you are experiencing, or that you know you're going to need to experience in the future, bringing you to rejoicing? Because listen, God doesn't need you this morning. You need Him. And that truth will set you free. 
It'll open your mouth. It'll open your finances. It'll open your marriages and affect your parenting. And it gets you to go to your job knowing that whatever job you have to go to on Monday, it is God's gift to you to live in a state of rejoicing before a world who has no point of reference for it. They suffer as we do, yet they have no hope. So let us visibly display our hope now. As we pray and as we sing and as we give and as we go, Lord, your word is as good. Lord, I know that there has been times in my life where I didn't even know I had a problem until I touched something and it was sore and I didn't even know I had a problem there. And Lord, maybe this message has touched somebody in a place they didn't even know it was there. Oh God, I pray for a proper response, a biblical one. It's always repentance. Oh God, don't allow the evil one, or don't allow the sinful flesh to rob you of the glory that you deserve and the joy that you have called us to. Stand feet now. And give you the praise that's due your holiness. And then, God, may we give as those who have been given everything. And then, Lord, may we go knowing that everything that awaits us outside those doors is to be lived for your glory because it will turn out for our good. Encourage your people now as we respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand, let's sing together.